Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U, where there are no degrees because the learning never stops. I'm Dove, a TA here at Gooner U, and my friend Keith is our stalwart designer. Distinguished. Professor of Arsenal and Football Studies. This weekend featured the November Internal Break. International Break. <laughs> Very well done. That is uh, Reed Frankel's podcasting <laughs> debut. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, what I heard there is you just got replaced. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that's that was excellent. Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so Reed uh, is up past his normal bedtime because we're uh, on vacation this week, and he had a question that he wanted to ask you and see what you thought. So go ahead. All right. Let's go for Why it. Why does Soth always take the corner kicks on the right side? Okay. Uh, so Saka takes those kicks on that side uh, because, well, probably he's the best player to kick from that direction. So he is he is left footed. So he uses his left foot, but on the right side mm-hmm. he comes in. Notice how he plays on that side of the field too. So he's always coming that way and kicking inside. So it's the same thing he does when he's out running down the field. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you, Keith. All right, Bye. you're welcome. Bye. <laughs> All right, go out and close the door on your way out. Right. All right. So. Representing the junior gooners of Dallas this week. This is bizarre. This is easily the most adorable episode we've ever had. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, um, meanwhile, I hear that there was some interesting news to come out this week. Um, yes. So this was kind of an interesting story to get us started. Um, Everton apparently has been docked 10 points for financial rule-breaking. They were in violation of the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules uh, for the 21-22 season, and as a result, they they have been docked 10 points, which means they're now currently sitting... uh, They went from 14th. They're now currently sitting in relegation. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I suspect they played well enough. They'll probably be able to get themselves out of it. But, uh, they, you know, now they're 19th. And, and what's really interesting about this isn't so much uh, Everton themselves, who, you know, we sort of talked about this, have kind of walked that line between being in the league and being relegated over the last couple of seasons. Um, but seeing this kind of, of, of penalty being assessed, I mean, you'll we'll probably remember as well, the, it was last year, Manchester City, Right, earlier this year, this calendar year, but last season, Manchester City was uh, referred, this is from the ar- an article here, uh, referred to an independent commission over more than 100 alleged breaches of finance rules uh, since they were acquired by, by Abu Dhabi. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting, the fact that Premier League has actually come down and, uh, you know, or that I should say, the, yeah, the league has come down and made a pretty heavy-handed ruling on this kind of thing. Even Everton made note of it, apparently, in their official statement in response. Uh, apparently, they said... Um, 
The club will also monitor with great interest the decisions made in any other cases concerning the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. Um, does, this, does this mean we're, we're about to see Manchester City dock points and we get last year's title? I would not hold your breath on that. But it is interesting <laughs> that that sort of thing happened, that conversation took place, that punishment has been meted out. Um, and also just so that when you're confused and you go back in, you know, we come back to the league this week and you look at the standings going, why the heck is Everton in 19th? That's what's going on. They've been penalized right. points. It is not because they lost because they lost a couple games over the break. Um, no, they were just penalized for financial improprieties. Obviously. So would they ever retroactively apply uh, penalties like that against the team? Uh, my suspicion is probably not. Just taking this as an example, what you see here, Everton was docked points for for violating the rules uh, two seasons ago. So what I suspect you would see happen is City, assuming, of course, that they're ultimately found guilty and that they decide, the league decides to penalize them, it seems like if this is our precedent, what would happen is they would then deduct points for City in the season they are currently competing. Um, Everton was... When the, when the infraction is noticed. <laughs> well, or at least when the punishment finally comes down. Um, you know, And, and City, City's been accused of a lot more breaches that than Everton was that Everton was in this case. So it's cha- it's presumably the penalty would be substantially larger in terms of points. You know what that actually? I, I I'm I'm not a math guy, so I can't really sit here and say, oh, it, it'll be up. Well, it'll be a hundred points. I, I have no idea what they'd be facing or how that would play out. Um, presumably that season, it would almost certainly cost them the title. I don't know that it would all of a sudden put them in danger to be relegated or anything like that, but it's going to depend a lot, of course, on when that happens, time of year, you know, whether or not the moon is in the seventh house of Venus. I don't know. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to see on that, but it, it is kind of a curious one. It's an interesting story that came out this week right as we headed into break, so I don't... There's a world where it means something to us down the line, I just don't know what that is. So uh, for a little bit of follow-up, we had talked last week about how laws of the game change and where those decisions happen. And you were correct that it was a board within FIFA. We didn't know the name of it last week. Um, I looked into it and it is the IFAB, which stands for the International Football Association Board. So that is the body that is responsible for actually changing the laws of the game. This is coming from FIFA's website. I'll have a link in the show notes and description. So uh, if anyone wants to learn more about how you can submit an idea or proposal relating to the laws of the game, uh, that is where you would go. <laughs> and they're, they're always open to suggestions. I, I'm not sure what they're open to doing with those suggestions, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh, let's get to our World Cup qualification updates. I think we'll probably go in order that uh, the qualifying rounds started. So we'll go Conable, AFC, and then CAF. Uh, so uh, how did uh, Los Cafeteros do? Yeah, let's start with Colombia. Uh, opened up, they beat Brazil. I mean, you know, for, for anywhere in South America, it's a massive, obviously, result. And they were at home. They were in Barranquilla. So, you know, that's – I don't want to say it's expected, but obviously it's the it's easier, obviously, at home than to try and do it on the road. Um, it was a 2-1 game. Uh, 
Gabriel Martinelli, Arsenal man, scored in the fourth minute. And then uh, Luis Diaz, who's at Liverpool, scored two goals quickly, the 75th and the 79th minute. So some late winner, a late leveler, and then a late winner for, for hmm. Colombia at home. Massive result for them. They're now currently third in Colombia ball standings. Um, you know, which is, uh, you know, now we're in the third qualifying window. We're now five games, almost, you know, soon to be six in. That's a pretty good position to be in. Um because we're now starting to get to about that, you know, we're, you know, five games in out of uh, 18 total. So you're kind of in that about one quarter range. It's a nice place to be. Uh, they'll finish up their World Cup qualifying round, uh, this World Cup round uh, at Paraguay, which we're recording on uh, Monday night, as usual. And that game will be tomorrow for us on Tuesday. So that's Colombia. How about uh, the champions? Yeah, so um, they suffered their first defeat at the hands of Uruguay, uh, 2-0. Um, apparently, there was a, a somewhat severe foul against Messi early on that didn't get called. Um, and apparently, the game proceeded in kind. It was a pretty rough-and-tumble game. And this is their first loss since their group stage loss in World Cup last year. <laughs> Which I guess makes sense. I mean, they've, they've won their first few games and qualifications and to make it all the way to the end of World Cup means you didn't lose after group stage in World Cup, yeah. basically. So, <laughs> but, uh, right. And I pres- you know, and yeah, I mean, obviously they've only played qualifying games since then, but you know, I, I suspect they haven't played, they didn't play a lot of really particularly competitive games in the intermediate, in the medium between December and now sort of in the, I guess it was September when World Cup qualifying started. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, they still sit atop Colmebol by a point. They're a point ahead of Uruguay, who obviously jumped up, uh, gaining three this week. So, um, so yeah. Um, what do they moving? Who do, who do, yeah. who do they have? Who do they have next this week? I do know the answer, but I basically yeah, Brazil. Um, I have begun the process of trying to figure out how I might be able to watch that match. It's later on in the day. Their Arsenal is going to be playing Brentford on Saturday. Earlier on, the Brazil match is later that day. I would like to try and see it. That would be fun, especially uh, if, if it seems like uh, Martinelli is an active rotation. That would be good to, to catch him playing Brazil. So. Um, yeah, well, I suspect that, well, it wouldn't be, I mean, Arsenal's on Saturday. I suspect this game is going to be, hold on, it's the 21st. It's tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. Um, I, I am totally yes. wrong. Okay. Yeah, but I say, yeah, would it, because the whole point of, the whole point, of course, <laughs> is the break and the window is, you know, like, Martinelli's with Brazil and Gabrielle is with Brazil and, you know. Right. So they wouldn't be with their club teams right now because they're, they're that over there. That makes yeah. sense. Uh-huh. I put it on my account. I don't know where I saw it. Maybe it's like a youth match or something. And well, I yes, there to, is an uh, there are some ongoing. Uh, yeah, world, there is a, like it's the U seventeen <laughs> World Cup. Um, but uh, I don't know, as we right say, there. the learning never stops. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, I know. I I believe Paramount Plus has South American leagues, including the Brazilian league and the. Uh, well, Argentine, so, Argentine league, that was it. But I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I've been looking into it. It seems like Telemundo might be my best bet. I was trying to see if I have that associated with the TV subscription I have access to. And that got messed up and I gave up on it yesterday. But apparently if the game is tomorrow, I, I'd better get on that and try and see. So, yeah. Uh, quick, yeah. Quick thing I see su- suggests... Uh, Telemundo or Universo, which means could be NBC's streaming. Oh, so I might be able to watch it on Peacock. Peacock, that was it. Okay. 
I believe okay. I maybe uh, this that would be a this. lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Telemundo, like a lot of apps might be localized to a particular language and you have the option of switching languages on it along with the rest of your phone. But no, Telemundo is solely in Espanol. So it's it's uh, kind of straining my secondary school uh, Spanish knowledge trying to navigate my way through the app. Yeah, but then again, errors. Yeah, yeah, but then again, you watch enough of it, and you know, you, you, I mean, again, you know, play, bet, go back. I like there's not, there's not that many. Problems. Oh yeah, I'm just like on navigating the app, trying to figure out yeah. like how and if I can watch the match. Deport, yeah. deportes. Uh, but, yeah, that that I know, and I found it, but yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, uh, what is going on for Japan? Uh, so Japan opened up, uh, their Asian qualifying. They played Myanmar on, uh, earlier this week. Uh, they beat them 5-0, which is not a surprise. Myanmar's not very good. Japan is very good. Um, Ayase Ueda, uh, who plays at Feyenoord in the Netherlands, uh, had a hat trick. Um, Arsenal Connection Takehiro Tomiyasu did not play in this game, Hmm. uh, which as an Arsenal fan, I'm... Mostly happy about because it means you know he's not necessarily going to play. They certainly didn't need him. Um, we'll see. I, I obviously I hope there's no. I haven't heard anything about an injury floating around or anything like that. So hopefully that's not the case and he's fine. He just didn't play because mm-hmm. they didn't need him. Uh, Japan will be on the road next on Tuesday. They're going to play Syria, but of course since you cannot play in Syria because you can't really do much in the country right now. Um. They'll be in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, uh, for for that one. But that'll be Japan's the second Japan's second game of qualifying, which uh, you know is a is a good start for them. And uh, you know Syria uh, actually opened up by beating North Korea in their first game. So hmm. um, it'd be a, I mean not that I'm concerned about Japan advancing, but this would obviously be a good one to to grab at this stage. How about India? Well, before we go on to India, I, I think it, I would hope that it is likely if Tomiyasu didn't play because they thought they didn't need him, that that was confirmed by them winning 5-0. <laughs> so, well, yeah. <laughs> clearly didn't hurt that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so India. India won their first qualifying match against Kuwait 1-0. So they're now tied with Qatar for the lead in Group A of uh, AFC. So. And then, uh, well, so I, I will say that we talked about this a little bit. I mean, I think Kuwait and India are probably the competitors. Well, I should say this. The more I'm looking at this group, I mean, I, it, Qatar has played in a World Cup, but they played in a World Cup because they hosted it. They're, frankly, right. one of the lower-ranked teams to ever do that. I think this is potentially a wide-open group. And for India to come away with three points at Kuwait, so they have a, an away win against their chief competition, that's actually a massive result for them. And it really does yeah. increase the chances that they'll make it to the next round. I mean, obviously, to play they're, they're, who are they playing next? Is it Qatar? Yeah, I have no idea. So, so I, so I, so I had, I had pulled it up. India is at home to Qatar in uh, okay, Banaswar. Thank, uh, thank you for so saving that, me. Yeah, that'll be. So, yeah, that's a. I mean, it, you know, it's a, this is a this is a really interesting window for them. For if they could walk away, I mean, at home, you know, it's a good chance if they could walk away with six points. That's a heck of a start for them. Uh, with you know having both their games with Afghanistan left, uh, which of course they're not going to go. Uh, just looking now, the next round is in March. Uh, they're technically away to Afghanistan now. Where that will actually take place is is an interesting question, um, right? Because obviously it's not going to be in Afghanistan. Uh, apparently they played their home their home game is tomorrow against Kuwait. They're going to be in uh, in Saudi Arabia. 
Uh, so that'll be again. This could be could be a big opportunity for India sure. on the early stages of qualifying, which would also apparently qualify them if they finish in the top two of their group. Would qualify them directly for the twenty twenty seven Asian Cup, uh, which would again, you know, the continental competition would be a nice thing uh, for India to be involved in. So we talked about them as a sure potentially growing uh, nation. Although it looks like they are in the next one that's coming up in January, but we'll, we can deal with hmm. that later in January. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So moving on to our first qualifying round for Africa. Uh, tell me about Egypt. Uh, Egypt has actually already played both of its games. Uh, they opened against Djibouti, which uh, was a 6-0 win. Uh, Mo Salah uh, put, a, he had put in four goals. Uh, we'll, we'll see him soon enough uh, with uh, with um, with Liverpool. And then they followed that up um, over the weekend by playing the second game, a 2-0 win against uh, at Sierra Leone. Uh, and what is particularly interesting uh, about, well, I, I tried to look up the Sierra Leone game. I didn't see it, or maybe I just forgot to write it down. Uh, Mohamed Elneny played 90 minutes uh, in the first game against Djibouti, and I believe I saw he was playing as well against uh, Sierra Leone in the second. I know he's a key piece for for Egypt as well. So, but a a very good start to qualifying uh, in that group for the Egyptians, which isn't a huge surprise. But you know, six points is six points, and always good to see. Right. Yeah. So, meanwhile, uh, South Africa um, they played against Benin. They beat them two one. So they are now at the top of their group, Group C, and they have another game still to play. So more on that. Uh, at the beginning of next week's episode, once they wrap up. Who are they? Uh, they are going to be playing uh, Rwanda. Okay, okay. Interesting, looking at this group, I mean, Nigeria is definitely the, we talked about this, Nigeria is definitely the power. The powerhouse. Uh, opened with two draws, hmm. uh, including home to Lesotho, which is is not good uh, for Nigeria. Um that's not a great result for them. And then a draw at Zimbabwe, which is, I mean, if you're South Africa, I, you know, Rwanda's, Rwanda's a, theoretically a beatable team. That would be a, a really good start for them, especially in that group with Nigeria, you know, to, to get that up on Nigeria. Obviously, you're going to need a result against Nigeria when those games come. But still, to be able to start that way is, a, is actually a really good position to be, would be a good position for South Africa to be in. It puts a lot of pressure on Nigeria as well to get results uh, as the as qualifying goes along. So, Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, one, one kind of funny meta note, so just kind of getting a sense of how these teams fit into the overall picture of international football. Um, I was looking up the results before we recorded, and, you know, I find articles on like an article on USA Today about how Argentina did and, um, I don't know, Reuters or, um, AP or something had an article on how South Africa did. <laughs> India? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> There's like some YouTube videos with highlights and stuff, but it tells you <laughs> what their stature is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, India is kind of a fascinating one because you think, you know, with a country, it's, it's the most populated country on earth. And, at, you know, with all those people, oh, of course, the real, second, the, second, I think, right? No, I believe they have actually passed. They China took them? Oh, wow. I yes, I believe that. so. Okay. Um, but uh, I mean, it's what's particularly fascinating about that. Of course, I should say with the part that may, explains all that is uh, they what recently has just wrapped up is the Cricket World Cup, which uh, mm. India obviously cares a great deal about as a, a contra the uh 
<laughs> Contra <laughs> soccer. That's that is the 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 sport and the term about which they care. I believe. Um, I just saw her say Australia upset them in the final. Uh, hmm. Beat India in the final. Maybe not an upset, but Australia beat them in the final. Um, so congrats to the to the Aussies there. And you know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it today for cricket. You. Uh, <laughs> All right, so before we move on to our educational section of our programming, because there are no Arsenal matches, obviously, this week, uh, let's take a moment to thank Zencaster. So uh, we, we use Zencaster to record every episode. Um, I just open it up, and then Keith does. Uh, I click record, and that's it. Zencaster takes care of the rest. It records both of our ends in full quality, records it locally, so it's resilient to any bandwidth problems, even if your video is glitchy and doesn't look very good while you're recording. It'll end up all good once it ends up, once you're done and you download your files. So um, it is so easy to get started. You just uh, record with Zencaster by logging into your browser and you click record. And then you start on a high cap quality podcast right away. You record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. On Gooner U, we have definitely had our share of connection instability, and we have yet to, knock on wood, lose any uh, any recordings. Even when we thought we might, Zencaster had our backs. So um, it's also super easy as an all-in-one solution, right? So if you thought about podcasting before and gave up thinking you needed lots of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, as well as other major destinations. And you can try out their new iPhone app, which lets you record on the go whenever uh, and wherever it works for you. So if that all sounds good to you, you can go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code Gooner, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. Again, that's code Gooner, G-O-O-N-E-R. There is no U in Gooner. I want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all our podcasting content needs. So it's time for you to share your story. There's a link in the description or the show notes. So yeah. Uh, uh, well, bef- bef- this, before we get oh, to yeah? the, I was about to say before we get to yeah, we we forgot the the other national team that was playing uh, today. Uh, Aha, the I, boys, I, the guy. Oh no, 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 not the boys. The boys are South Africa. The guys are the U.S. No, no, well, but the, Bafana, <laughs> Bafana, the boys. I know right. we, we forgot. They forgot our guys. You know, it's yeah, uh, yeah. On uh, after the whistle, that's what uh, Brendan Hunt and uh, Rebecca Lowe took to calling the U.S. men's national team is the guys. <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, the U.S. played tonight. Uh, they actually just finished right before we started recording. Um, the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Nations League, which is not connected to World Cup qualifying at all because the U.S. doesn't have to do that since they're hosting. <laughs> uh, they lost to Trinidad 2-1 uh, to one in the second leg. However, they advance on aggregate 4-2 after winning uh, 3-0 in the first leg, and, and that was in Austin, Texas last week. Uh, okay. Probably the most... Bizarre part about this game is is Serginho Dest picked up a a pretty petulant double yellow in this one. Um, he uh, there was the ball was played out. It, it, this again, this has all happened like you know maybe not even two hours ago. So I'm still sort of kind of processing all this and trying to figure out all that, all that went on. I mean, he had been fouled here and there, but this is this is Concacaf. These things happen, and no calls, and nothing looked particularly bad. I mean, certainly by the the very low standards of Concacaf. 
Um, <laughs> Des then was trying to make a play on a ball near the sideline. The ball was called out, which, okay, that happens. A uh, call with which he clearly disagreed. He picked up the ball and booted it into the stands. That is a good way to get yourself a yellow card. He yeah. then continued to express his disagreement with the officials. Actually, let's see if I can find this here. So this is this <laughs> is from The Athletic. This is their news story about this. Dest was yellow carded for picking up the ball and drop kicking it away after the ball was called out of bounds by the linesman. Dest right. then turned and started talking to the center referee, covering his mouth as he did so and gesturing toward the linesman. Dest seemed to be upset that an earlier foul committed on him was not called. Multiple teammates, including Gio Reyna, Yunus Musa, and Tim Ream, tried to pull Dest away, but he continued talking to the referee and eventually blew a kiss. At that point, he was shown a second yellow card and therefore the red and was ejected. So a yellow card for sarcasm. Well, I mean, what it is is dissent. Like, it, it is dissent. Yeah. He's talking back to the referee. And and referees right. generally, I mean, there's a couple things going on here. One, the whole, you know, putting your hand in front of your mouth thing is, is it's a surefire way you know you're saying something you shouldn't be saying. Um, but yeah. that, I mean, yeah, I mean, refs generally give wide latitude. Let's put it this way. When it happens, uh, very clearly, because I was sort of like, I was cleaning up from dinner, so I was sort of half watching at that point. And all of a sudden, I look over and I see Tim Ream is just, he's wagging mm. the finger at, at Dest. Turner comes over and is like, get off, get off, get off. I mean, I was was very yeah. confused. Uh, yeah, that was, I don't, I, it, the reaction feels a bit overwrought based on what we saw suspicion, there's some suspicion, I guess, and this is all fan speculation, maybe something mm-hmm. else was said or done, like, it's not like he's never been fouled or been fouled and not have a call given. I mean, this is a road game in CONCACAF. This happens all the time, and he knows, he's played in these games, he knows that. And, you know, the foul, people thought they were complaining, you know, might have been the one, or, or what they thought was the foul that maybe was right before it, people kind of looked at him like, I mean, yeah, it's a foul, but like, it's not that bad. You know, like hmm. we've seen like really bad non-calls. This wasn't like, I mean, yeah, it was a foul and it didn't get called, but kind of, you know, whatever that happens every game. Like, it, so it, it, the, his reaction just seems so out of, out of proportion with what happened. I mean, his teammates are obviously furi- furious with him. Um, the U.S. was up one nil at that point and then proceeded to give up a goal a few minutes later. Now, again, they led three nil after the first leg. They'd already scored a goal. It was up, They were four nil on aggregate. Trinidad was not winning that game, was not scoring five goals in that game at that point. I mean, yes, the look, U.S. looked very poor. The Trinidad gets a second goal in the second half. But, yeah, the U.S. was not I, – I, I, I was hard to feel, like, super concerned about how the result played out, but it was just a very kind of bizarre thing. And uh, because of this, Dest will now be suspended for the next uh, U.S. international game or uh, CONCACAF game, which is going to be the semifinals of the Nations League, which we did qualify for by, by winning this tie – um, that will be in mm. March in Jerry World, uh, at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Uh, we do not yet know who we will be playing in that in that semifinal. It's going to be based on the results of the other quarterfinals. There's one other going on right now, uh, Panama and Costa Rica. Panama won 3-0 in Costa Rica in the first leg. The second leg is currently at the half. It is 3-0 Panama again. So I feel pretty certain that they're going to advance. Yeah. Beyond that, tomorrow uh, we'll see Jamaica and Canada in one semi or in one quarterfinal. Um, the Canadians won the first one two one. 
And they are, hold on, let me get the locations on here right. Uh, they won the first one 2 1 in Jamaica. So they have the second leg in, in Toronto. They should feel pretty good to advance to that. And then the last one, Honduras, Mexico. Honduras beat Mexico 2 0 in the first leg. So Mexico has to now make up a two goal deficit. The plus side for Mexico is the first leg was in Honduras. They're now going to be at home in the Azteca. But still, overcoming a 2-0 deficit for a Mexico team that has not looked great, they're in real danger of not qualifying for this final round, Um, Mm. which is kind of fascinating. One other layer to all this, we've talked about this before, these quarterfinals for the Nations League also were part of CONCACAF qualifying for next summer's Copa America, traditionally the South American Championship now expanding to be sort of an America's championship, at least for next summer. Uh, the U.S. is now officially in, which is good because we're hosting it, so that'd be really embarrassing if we didn't make it. Um, <laughs> the other, Panama is almost certainly going to go now because they're likely to win. I think Canada will be there, and then obviously um, the winner of Honduras-Mexico. The four teams that lose in this round, including Trinidad and I think at this point Costa Rica, we can safely say, will play uh, You know, in March when we have the Nations League final. They will be also having their own separate sort of uh, uh, play-in tournament, the top two of which will go to the Copa America uh, again. That'll be next summer. Speaking of Copa America, they actually just made another a number of announcements about it, like today. These all just came out. Uh, the draw officially will be held in December. I think they said December 7th is the actual draw day, and they have all the pots set up. Yes, December 7th. And then they announced the opening game of the tournament will be in Atlanta uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where Atlanta United and the Atlanta Falcons play. The final uh, will be held at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, uh, home of uh, the Miami Dolphins. Um, but yeah, Miami has sort of been set up as the, the final, which I guess makes sense for an America's championship. Pretty good. Pretty good choice. So lots of lots of stuff happened today uh, in the America, in the world of, of uh, soccer in the Americas. So it was kind of a right. it was an interesting day going in there, and you know didn't want to didn't want to leave any of that out before we got into <laughs> you know go back before we go back across the pond and get ready for our uh, get ready to go back to to Arsenal and the the world of English football. Yeah. All right. Oh, thanks for that update. So um, it's funny, something you mentioned actually uh, corresponds to an item that I had put on my list of questions. So I've been doing a lot of keeper practice with my son, who uh, appeared briefly uh, at the beginning of the episode. Um, he still wants to be a keeper, and we actually spent a couple hours practicing today. It was really fun, beautiful weather down here in Arlington, Texas, as you mentioned, um, where, where that game will be. Um, and... Actually, before we even get to his question, it was it was kind of fun. Yesterday, we uh, met some other family in the area for lunch at the Star Complex. Are you familiar with that down here? Um, I never went over there, but yeah, in Frisco, it's the Cowboys practice yeah. facility. Yeah, exactly. They, they, so, uh, well, so have you? Did you actually go into it or? Yes. Well, so we ate lunch at one of the restaurants. It's like a whole little mall centered yeah. around their their training field, their training building. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so we ate there and then we walked over to the pro shop and, and I got my son a little football and we threw it around on the field that they have for the public outside the training building. So they have like, you know, a full hundred yard field inside. They have a massive, massive jumbo screen outside. So people all go there to hang out and watch away games. Mm -hmm. And then 
behind, like, well, in front of that screen, they had like a little 50 yard, um, you know, turf field for, for kids to play on. So I was, I was throwing the football, the American football around, uh, with my son. And, um, that actually does then lead to my question, bringing it full circle. So one of the things that he loves, whether it's with a soccer ball or an American football, he loves drop kicking. For some reason, it's just something I try to get him to stop sometimes because I want to, as his coach, I'm like trying to get him to focus his repetitions on the thing that I am working with him on getting better at. <laughs> and when he drop kicks it, especially as he started off, as everyone would, not very good at it yet, and it goes in all different directions and very often very far <laughs> in all different directions, we spend more time chasing down the ball than actually practicing goalkeeping or whatever. I'm working with him on at the time. And yeah, he was, he was drop kicking the American football at the star yesterday and then a keeper practice today. And he's starting to get better at it. But what I wanted to ask you about is I call it a drop kick. You know, the, the ball falls out of his hand and he kicks it in midair with his foot. That to me is a drop kick. He was correcting me and saying, no, it's a punt, which is kind of funny. Um, I didn't know he was even aware of the word punt, but I'm wondering how much, overlap is there between a punt and a drop kick like is can a punt be a drop kick does a punt have to start off on the ground i mean i know like in um the nfl in in american football when they do a kickoff punt i'm pretty sure you would call that a punt and they are drop kicking it usually when they do that um so where (laughs) how do you rule on the terminology yeah, so so they are they are actually different terms. A, a drop kick is one where the ball actually hits the ground, and it's oh. it's interesting. So what so what you typically see what you'll see in American football the punt the punter will take the ball and then basically kick it out of his hand or he'll drop it maybe onto his foot but will kick it out of his right. hands. What you they, it is actually technically in the rules is what's called a drop kick where they actually will they'll drop the ball it bounces and it's on the bounce. Uh, either on the bounce or if it like as it's like supposedly like on the ground, you have to sort of time it so you're kicking on the ground. Technically, it is there is actually a, a, it is a legal way to take field goals in the NFL. You you will almost never see it. Like someone does it, and it's one of those <laughs> things. Oh my goodness! Can you believe they did a drop kick? Because it's just so okay. like you'll see it once a decade. It's just such a rare thing to to try and pull off. And it's difficult because if you screw up, it's you know it's a, now it's a live ball, it's a fumble, it's also. But yeah, so it, it actually had like you can typically what you'll see is what's called a place kick in in professional football in in American football where. You have a holder. He takes it, sets it on the ground. You know, usually holds it with his finger, and the guy runs up and kicks. Right. It. The kicker runs up and kicks it. That's different. That's a place kick because the ball's placed. Drop and kicking as- though, drop kicking though is a legal way of scoring. Like you can t- attempt a field goal that way. It's just really difficult. Um, well, right. So this question started off as a soccer focused question, though. Yeah. And so there, but, there but isn't is still- a useful distinction between the two things. I don't think. Well, no, no. There, I mean, there, soccer, there is. Right? Well, no, there is. I mean, the, the the drop kick is the ball hits the ground. That that's what makes it a drop kick. Uh, the punt though is the punt though is when it doesn't. Okay. So the, so it is a real distinction. I'm drawing the one from the American football because it's a little clearer because of what you see. And okay. Mostly what you're seeing is, uh, yeah, a lot of times you're seeing the drop kick is the idea is the ball hits the ground. Maybe, and I'd have to rewatch the replay from Dest again, but I'm pretty sure. And you'll see, it's you know, yeah, yeah. the the timing on that is so so minuscule between is it just above the ground that it hit the ground and bounced up, you know? But it is, I mean, the ball hits the ground and he just you know boots it into the stand. That is a drop kick. Okay. It's a different thing. They are really so, two different things. 
What I had also been thinking of as a punt too is a goal kick when it when it goes over the byline and the keeper typically, but it can be anybody. But when the keeper kicks it and they're trying to get it as far across the field to you know the receiving players as they can, typically, um, like I consider that a punt, and the ball's not even in motion for a goal kick. Is that a punt or is that not a punt? I know it's a uh, kick. well. So you'll, you will also, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a. I mean, technically, it's a dead ball kick. I mean, ba- basically, it, they're using punt there as just sort of a general term of kicking the ball, kicking the ball. Because usually, obviously, we see the goal kick seems to just boot it as far as he can up the field. Right. So sometimes it's there's a bit long of a slang. aerial kick. Yeah. Yeah. Something just a little bit of slang there. There's also uh, I checked this to be sure. You'll also hear the word punt in in, in British English, usually referring to uh, gambling. They take a risk. Huh. Of, you know, we'll take. I'll take a punt on that. You know, just uh, as in, like you know, putting a bet on something. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Cool. Next question. Let's say you and I want to start an English football club at some mm-hmm. point, right? What division do we start out in, and how is that decided? So we would start. At the lowest possible level, assuming we started uh, basic, assuming we started as as somewhat professional, not entirely semi pro, um, okay. we would be starting down. I believe, gosh, I, I, at the very least. So, if we assume is the pyramid, the top level is the Premier League. Is the Premier League that's level one? Mm-hmm. Um, you can go down at least. Uh, well, you have. I mean, at least. There's officially a level 11, and I think it's technically levels even lower than that. Um, so it sort of depends on how you started the the league. I'm trying to pull up. Hang on. There's something called uh, – yeah, so it, what I'm pulling up is this club called FC United of Manchester. Now, they were started as sort of a breakaway group by a bunch – by disgruntled Manchester United fans. Uh, they were founded in 2005. And they began, where were they? They, let's see, they entered Division Two of the Northwest Counties Football League, which is, bum, 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 bum. it looks like it's level 10. So that's, I think, about 10. And they were starting with the goal of building themselves as a semi-professional and then potentially later a professional team. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think it would be it would depend on how we were doing it. Now, presumably, we're starting this as a business as opposed to like you and me playing. Right. Is that right? Yeah, because right. it was you and me playing. We're starting in a Sunday league, and yeah, we're not really, we're not really um, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Assuming right. we want to eventually play against Arsenal would be the long term goal, <laughs> right? So uh, yeah, that'll be yeah they'll they'll that that is down. Let's see, level ten of the system is where they started. Uh, they actually okay. did. They've actually done fairly well to advance. They are currently. That was 2005. They started. They were down at level 10. They are currently in the what is called the Northern Premier League. Uh, I believe they are in the seventh division, the seventh level of the pyramid right now. Um, they okay. actually started in like you know three consecutive promotions. Um, like very quickly, well, kind of stalled uh, out there. <laughs> yeah, which is which isn't a surprise. I mean, you know, you, you right. think about the the clubs they're playing at that lowest level. The fact that they're probably spending any money at all is already a step ahead of most of their competition. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, they're now starting to get into the point, starting to get into that space where um, you're actually going to face clubs that are actually I don't want to say trying, 
but trying in a, in, in a way. Well, that yeah, and I, I guess there's also something about you kind of find your level, I guess. You find the teams that you should be playing against pretty much, probably. Yeah, to a certain extent, um, yeah. you know. So, uh, but yes, theoretically, because of the o- because of how the open system works, it will you know make its way. Um, theoretically, they could continue to progress uh, and make their way up to to the top level. You see a little bit of this as well with uh, with uh, Wrexham. Uh, I don't know if you watched any of the. We I know we've talked about the the TV show and the club. Welcome to Wrexham. Right. You watched any of the yeah, show? Yet. I, I haven't okay. watched. I've watched it yet. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is a good one. It's sort of a good look. It's kind of the, the this lower level of the game as well as sort of some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, just as a note, I would not recommend it. it did, would not recommend it with your with your son. The language is uh, <laughs> is real. Let's just say that it's a, it, the, the language is very coarse. Um, but uh, but it does give a good sense of that. So Wrexham, those first two seasons, is in the National League, which is the fifth division. It is the step below. The football league, which is the top four level, so League Two, League okay. One, Championship, Premier League. Their goal, and they've, they've talked about this. Their goal is to have Wrexham ultimately someday in the in the Premier League, right? Um, which would be higher than Wrexham's ever. Wrexham has never never been to the. They've never been up at that the top division. Um, I think they were in the cha- or the equivalent of the Championship League Two a couple of times, uh, but uh, they they spent the last yeah. they spent ultimately it ended up being fifteen seasons in the the National League, the fifth division. Okay, and you know it was a. I mean, they talked about what it meant to the club and how well, basically what all the negative ways it impacted the club, and obviously being outside. The league. I mean, part of it being outside the league is there. There's, n- there's no TV money at all. Um, in fact, I know there were some disputes between. Wrexham's ownership and some of the rest of the clubs about, well, why don't we try to put stuff on, on television and streaming and, you know, generate revenue that way. And there were, there was also, and it wasn't completely unreasonable. I don't remember the details. It wasn't completely unreasonable pushback, but there was definitely some contention there. And, you know, somebody leads those things collectively. So if we don't all get this, then no one gets it. Um, right. Which is how the American, you know, how an American sports league works. That's not that unusual. Um, mm-hmm. But, they, their investment was such that the club built up, and you know, in the two the two year the first two years they owned it, it was very successful in the national league. Um, and is now they I'll spoil alert for the end of the second season. They win the national league. They are now currently in league two and actually doing very well in league two. I think they're in third. They're they have a pretty good shot at promotion. Um, <laughs> from from league two uh, into into league one for next season. At least again at this point, we're still you know sort of late November. Um, yeah. but, uh, but again, that idea, you know, if you and I were to start our basic club or even this FC United of Manchester, I mean, we could talk a good game about going to the premier league, but that'd be well, a lot. Yeah. So I guess the, the thought behind the question would be, so it's, it's fun to pretend like you and I might start a club, but, but, you know, let's say you're talking about like one of these Mideastern countries or organizations. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that they chose to buy existing teams rather than starting their own when they kind of could have, but it, it would have taken longer for them to get into the Premier League where they're really able to make back that money. Like even if they start off with the best players, it sounds like they wouldn't, it would be like a once a year promotion until they're able to actually play at that level. So that explains why they wouldn't. Right. Well, remember, they're also do- they're not doing it for money making enterprises. Like you know, these are effectively owned by members of the royal family, and you know, of of oil rich nations. They don't care about the money. 
Mm-hmm. Like the money, the money is in, like in some in some respects, and I don't want to traffic too much in stereotypes here. But in some respects, I mean, you you go to some parts of this world, you deal with these people, you know, connected to the royal family, they have this kind of wealth. I mean, we'll cycle through. Like, what? Wh- why not buy a club, a, a sports team? You know, it's you know what? It's a different investment than just buying another Maserati or Maybach or you know, brand new fi- fancy car. Like they, you know, they. The money is almost immaterial to them. It's just so the the finite like it doesn't matter. What part of the reason they're buying yeah. the club is this sense of you know they talk about this idea of soft power or they use the term sports washing. You know that you know we, we because they're involved in sports we don't think as negatively about them even though there may be some things about which we should think negatively about these governments and the things they do. I mean. They're buying into these leagues. Like you buy Manchester City, you buy Newcastle. Well, you don't have to worry about getting promoted to the Premier League because you're already in it. And so you're buying a club, Newcastle or Manchester City, that already had not just is in the Premier League, but has all the built-in history involved in that. I mean, you know, Manchester City had a you know a large fan base. They had they had a, mostly a history of not being very good, but they but they had a pre-existing fan base and they spent a lot of time in the top league. Newcastle United has, you know, has been in the top division of the English team for a very long time. Uh, yeah, they've been relegated here and there, and including some recently. But you know, they have a, you know, a pretty impressive stadium, St James's Park. They have a pretty rapid fan base. Like, there's a lot, you know, the, the, the black and white stripes. They're definitely an old club with a with a lot of equity built into the brand of the club itself. So that's partly what they're buying into as well. It's not really about the financial investment. They want to be in the league, and these clubs are for sale. So. Why not? So, all right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, one thing I've been wondering about, like as, as I'm coaching and, you know, especially taking a focus on trying to train keepers, even though they're not young enough to play in a game as keepers yet, but just kind of getting them thinking in that direction, working on those basic skills. It's kind of funny to think about, like I'm, I'm working with these kids and I'm wondering, based on height alone, would they potentially be kind of not not officially speaking disqualified, but would they have a tough go of trying to move all the way up in the world as a goalkeeper, right? Just based on height. Cause you, it is there, there is a, it's like in basketball, there is a reason that you see so many tall NBA players. There is an actual real advantage to it. You can just in goal, you can just cover more of the goal when you're, when you're taller. Um, so I'm curious, what is the range of heights of premier league goalkeepers? So I can't say I know the full range, but by and large, you're probably <laughs> going to be looking at guys who are uh, the probably among among if not the tallest players on the field, and and you'll see it as well. It's not just even their height, and we'll talk about this. I mean, first off, what we should talk about is high level professional athletes are physical freaks. Like, let's start with a very basic fact: <laughs> these people are not normal. But it's what allows them to do what they do. A lot of them talk about the quick, the quick twitch muscles they have, the reflexes they have, that sort of thing. And so, one of the other parts of their physical freakdom, so to speak, is there's like all sorts of bits about like how the body is proportional to itself. I mean, the famous, the famous sketch is Da Vinci's The Vitruvian Man, the guy all spread out, and the idea is that the human body spread out a certain way, the lengths are, are proportional to each other, it creates a perfect circle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Theoretically, your wingspan is roughly the same length as your height. 
Right. I suspect when you're dealing with keepers, there's probably a fair number of them. And maybe not at the top level, maybe they could be, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why you're at that level. But I suspect you're dealing with people who actually have longer wingspans than they do. They, their arms are even wider than their, their bodies are tall. Uh, because, again, it just gives you that extra, you know, space. Um Sure. You know, and in, in terms of, you know, heights, I mean, you're talking about people who are going to be at least six foot, um, probably longer, probably longer and taller. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I saw you, would, you'd put some, some things in here. You've got, uh, Fraser Forrester at Tottenham is six, seven. Um, yeah, it's yeah. probably not, it's not a surprise that Kaylor Navas is six foot. Now, Kaylor Navas is a, has been a very good keeper for a long time. He's probably one of the best players in the history of CONCACAF. Uh, he's a Costa Rican national. Uh, played a number of years at Real Madrid. Has won the Champions League a couple times, which is pretty impressive for a Concacaf guy. But uh, yeah, but yeah, he's a he's a longtime keeper. Um, yeah, so so those two names, those are as of like March, I think. I found a, an article on Goalkeeper dot com that actually goes through like I don't know a half dozen um, top divisions. I think they're they're mostly in Europe and then MLS. And uh, yeah, just like made a note of who the tallest and shortest is. So that's that's interesting to me. Like I'm I'm six foot even, so I'm as tall as the very shortest keeper that was in the Premier League this spring. <laughs> yeah, just just oh. a quick just a quick bit since I looked them up. Uh, David Raya is six foot. Uh, again, this is according to a quick Google Wikipedia search. David Raya is six foot, and uh, yeah. Aaron Ramsdale is six two. So right. That's probably that makes sense. You're not necessarily dealing with NBA players who are obviously going to be in this yeah. well over six and a half, even in the seven foot range. Not too many, of the seven right? Range. But you know, the uh, you're you're dealing with you're dealing with very tall men. Yeah, sure. So one thing I've been noticing this season, I don't remember noticing it before. I may have just missed it, but on the sideboard ads during Arsenal home matches. They say things, I think they they may have been advertising the, they've been really hyping the Arsenal versus Chelsea women's match that I guess is coming up, like old rivals, new faces, they've been saying or mm-hmm. something, which I think they may have said something similar with, uh, with the summer matches. They definitely were using the old rivals terminology with uh, mm-hmm. Manchester United's match over the summer that I got to see. But um Relative to that in particular, but then also in general, they say tickets and hospitality available on these sideboard ads. Mm-hmm. And somewhere there or elsewhere, I even saw they have a hospitality.arsenal.com site. Do they offer lodging for fans who have to travel? Like what, what do they mean by hospitality? That's, that's a fancy way of talking about like luxury boxes or suites. Oh, okay. That's just that's just a sort of an Englishism for for the fancy the fancy seats. Um, okay, you know, that you can shell out big money for. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I, it's interesting you point at the Arsenal Arsenal Chelsea. Um, there, there. I mean, obviously you have the Arsenal Chelsea rivalry in the women's game. It's even more pronounced because they're two of the. They are the two really premier sides in in the women's league. Um, Chelsea won the title last year, squeezed them out. Arsenal's beaten them out in the past for, for trophies. Uh, definitely have a pretty solid competition. They've been trying to get more of the women's games. Not all of them yet. The women play, um, the Arsenal women play, uh, they play at Meadow Park, which is uh, in Borum, which is near where the Arsenal training facility is. It's it, There's a lower league club plays there. But they've been trying to get more of the women's games into the men's stadiums, and particularly getting Arsenal games in the Emirates. They did that. They did have a. They I think last season they played the North London Derby there when they played Tottenham, and they 
it they I don't know if they I don't I don't know if they sold out the Emirates, but they got a big crowd. I mean, it you know for for Tottenham, I and mean, they're trying to. It's about developing and growing the women's game, and you know all that that kind of thing. Um, sure. I mean, if, they sell, if you're selling the tickets, you know they selling the tickets, sell the tickets. You know, go for it. If you can get mm-hmm. those kind of that many people for those games, uh, good on you. But yeah. um, I was going to say something else about that. Um, actually, one other side note: uh, it, it, Chelsea's coach Emma Hayes, very successful, uh, has recently been just very recently was announced as the next coach of the U.S. women's team. So at the end of the season, oh. she will leave Chelsea and take over the U.S. women just in time for the 2024 Olympics. Um, so, Interesting. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, I, I can't I can't think of his name, but I know there's been a lot of criticism of the former guy who is uh, the women's national team coach. Yes, he did not do a particularly good job. I, I'm not exactly a close follower of the U.S. women's team, but I will say the fact that they were knocked out like in the quarterfinals of the world cup is just for this for for the we talk about like the standards for uh, you know for like the u.s men the quarterfinals of the world cup that's awesome uh for the u.s women the u.s women talk of the u.s women treat the world cup sort of the way a brazil or an argentina or germany or france does like we're not in the semifinals this is a failure this is an abject disgrace and they i mean he, he did not do a particularly good job both there and i believe in the olympics previously in 2021 i think he was still the guy there he's there has been a lot of discontent with him and with him and what he's done. So um, right. there's not a lot. The people are pretty. People are pretty amped. The little bit I see of, of supporters of the, the U.S. women's team, people are pretty amped up about Emma Hayes, and, and and she and they should be. She's obviously had a great deal of success at Chelsea, and you know the the goal is to win, and that's, that's what the U.S. does. So right. Yeah, I think we have time for one last question before we sign off. So. Um, I've noticed this. I'm sure I noticed it last season, but I've been especially noticing it this season. So the technical area is very near the touchline and the ball goes out for throw-ins very often over there. Something I see Mikel Arteta doing basically every match. I don't remember seeing a match in which this didn't happen that I don't see any of the other managers doing. He almost always, when the ball's anywhere near him, he picks it up and he will either hand it or lightly toss it to someone on his team or just kind of drop it near where the opposing team is coming in to, to take the throw. Is that just a personality of his that he likes being hands-on with the ball? Like it's, it's just funny that I notice it so much more with him than other managers. Um, I think that's a little bit of that. I mean, you know, as a former player and it's still a fairly recent former player. So likes that feeling yeah. of involvement. I, I know there's also a little bit of a sense, especially when it's Arsenal, if he wants them to restart, he'll grab the ball and get it. I mean, cause Arteta is a guy right, to keep like him to going. The, yeah. He doesn't like to see the air taken out of the ball. He doesn't like to see those kind of delays. So if he can do that, get the ball into somebody else's hands for his own players, sure. all right, let's get going or even to them, you know, cause that's a good way to time waste, right? Oh, I, Oh, I got to get the ball. Oh, is it over there? Oh, you know, there's a way to slow down. So here, here's the ball. Go. You have it. Don't wait. You know, clock's ticking on you on you getting the throw in. So I think there's a little bit right. of that too, but I think it's just part of a, it's a little bit of personality trait on his part. Yeah. All right. Cool. So uh, what is coming up this week for Arsenal? So we're back. Uh, the Premier League is back. That's the last international break of this calendar year. The next international break will not be until March. So, uh, you know, that's good. Wow. Um, yeah. we're, we're about to enter. I, I, I really, I would divide the rest of our calendar year really into two stretches. Uh, we're about to enter a seven match stretch of two games a week, which we will open on Saturday at 
Brentford. At Brentford in the league, we beat we beat Brentford away in the League Cup earlier this season. Obviously, with both sides have heavily rotate had heavily rotated uh, uh, lineups. I suspect though, if we're um, if not back to full strength, at least obviously a little bit better. Hopefully, some guys have healed a little bit over the break. Um, we will be without Fabio Vieira because he had you know his red card gives him a three match ban, so we're going to miss him for yep. Brentford. It looks like Brentford Wolves and Luton, which I mean. I mean, Fabio Vieira is not a critical piece to Arsenal necessarily, but, you know, I guess if you're going to miss three games. Uh, but, yeah, we're about to enter the stretch of these, you know, two games a week. Um, you know, for our next seven games, we're going to have Brentford Saturday, Lawns midweek for the Champions League, Wolves on the weekend, at Luton midweek, at Aston Villa on the weekend, at PSV in the Champions League, and then finally home to Brighton to sort of end that, that stretch. So about seven games in there. And you look at the opponents we're playing, the setup we have, this is a real opportunity to really rack up points to really start to push ourselves forward. Um, you know, some tough road games in there, but, I mean, the only one of those that really makes me nervous is particularly that last game, at, you know, home to Brighton. Brighton's a tough one for us. They've done very well, especially at the Emirates. And, oh, by the way, a week after Brighton, as we head to the festive fixtures and the holiday season, uh, is our trip to Anfield and Liverpool. So mm. this is an opportunity. I mean, if you start to look at the league, the way it's shaping up, City's a clear favorite. Arsenal and Liverpool, are, I think, are both have very good reasons to believe they could maybe make a challenge, but also are going to be very much neck and neck with each other for those second and third spots. Uh, so this, yeah. this is going to end up being a very good game uh, coming. Uh, that's the 23rd of December. So we got a little ways to go with that. Uh, but for now, one day at a time with Brentford. And then if we look ahead uh, next, I guess that's the 29th on the calendar. That is next Wednesday. Um, so before the next episode will be done, we are home to Lons in the, the Champions League, a game that if we win, we are guaranteed top spot. So that's where we are at this point. Cool. And yeah, I'm seeing that Brentford match is going to be a uh, USA network televised. So mm. for cord cutters, uh, <laughs> Peacock will have the replay the next day. So, yeah. And then of All course right. the champions, Le- champions league will be uh, paramount, uh, paramount plus as always. Yes. All right. Thank you. So, Thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you're watching on YouTube, and hi, thank you for doing so, uh, please like and subscribe. To support the show even more, you can become a Gooner U super fan for ad-free episodes and bootleg recordings available the very night we record. It's only a dollar a month. But seriously, come on. And there's a link in the show notes to join. Thanks again to our sponsor, Zencaster. You can find them with our special link in the description. You can follow our show on Twitter at GoonerUShow for updates and ask questions. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners.